0: Hello, I am Cody Allingham and this is the Transformation of Value Podcast. Today I talk with Darcy Ongero. Darcy is a financial advisor, a Bitcoiner, and he also hosts the NZ Everyday Investor Podcast. This episode is very much a crossover where we talk about our views on Bitcoin and what the future may look like. Wealth and investment planning strategies traditionally involve things like real estate, stocks, and KiwiSaver. But for many people these pathways are no longer realistic options and more and more people are seeking out alternatives such as Bitcoin. Now there is a lot going on out there. that sometimes seems like we're entering a brave new world where things will never be the same again. As the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius once wrote, Consider frequently how swiftly all things which exist are swept away and carried off. Perhaps it is the change presented by an unchangeable money called Bitcoin that will help us move in a better direction. If you want to get in touch with me, please send an email to hello at the transformation of and I will get back to you. I do hope you enjoy this episode. If you would like to support the show, please consider streaming some Satoshis via your favorite podcasting 2.0 platform such as Fountain or Breeze. Otherwise, on to the show. Oh, that's way better. What what have you just turned <laughs> off?
1: I turned off the musician
0: option. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. So um, that that's first, okay. but there was a bit of there was a bit of echo. But hey, it's it's good. We can kind of get the juices flowing. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, cool. Before... So should
1: we start? Should we start again? Should yeah,
0: start again? yeah, man. What did I even open with? I, I, you, I, you,
1: yeah, you just said you know, just catching up locally in real life again is is awesome. You caught up with Simon and realizing how many people are into Bitcoin yeah. and what's your Bitcoin journey.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let me just restart that.
1: Just player. relax the shoulders, you know, breathe. <sighs> yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, I think for me, the the really fascinating thing has been meeting with Bitcoiners in New Zealand in real life and having these conversations with them and realizing that there's many people out there who are asking some pretty pointy questions around what's happening with the monetary system in this country and globally. Uh, people who are interested in alternative uh, ways of preserving their wealth through time. And uh, certainly... Uh, talking with Simon Collins recently, who you interviewed on your show as well, and, and I had him on uh, on my podcast. Um, understanding that there's people out there who are building in this space um, really opened my mind up to the options with Bitcoin. I had been looking at it for a little bit before then and, and playing around sort of on my own, uh, learning about it. Um, but I'd love to sort of hear what your story was and how you uh, began to get involved and interested in this space.
1: Yeah, great. So I think... As you would know, when you prepare for a podcast, you have to do a bit of research. And part of that involves not looking at the mental imagery that you project for yourself to understand things and passing judgment on your perception of reality, but actually putting all that stuff aside, all that baggage that comes with it, and just looking at things as plainly as you can for what they really, really are. And in 2017, I had the opportunity to catch up with a fellow by the name of Sam Blackmore, who at the time had a, a business called My Bitcoin Saver, which was a crypto on and off ramp, very similar, I guess you could say, to easy crypto today. And I was using them as a as a provider shortly after my session with Sam on the podcast, but as part of the research that I was doing, I had to put away my preconceived my preconceived notion or this projection, this mental imagery of what I thought Bitcoin was, which was which was just a bunch of digital pokery and um fake stuff that was invented in the internet uh, basically a scam kind of like that was the early sort of cynical view on bitcoin and i've fully adopted it because i'm 100 into mainstream traditional finance back in 2017 being a financial advisor for 20 years talking to people about getting debt buying property investing in kiwi saver that's it right that's where all the revenue was coming from from my business and so that's all i was really focusing on as i was building up my business i didn't have any room for anything experimental or anything too creative or anything that actually almost threatened the status quo of how my business was operating so i was naturally quite close-minded around this right but when i put all that aside, I looked for what it is i kind of got it the penny dropped i realized that hey this is just digital scarcity much like we have scarcity with land totally into property investment still am and What's great about property is that you can't create more of this sphere, more of this earth, right? Yes, you can go up to a certain extent, but you can't go wider. That's where the scarcity is. And so that's why land is so amazing to invest in it. And if there's a house on top of it to help pay for the mortgage required to buy the land even better. Yeah. But in the Bitcoin space, as soon as I understood in a similar way, there was digital scarcity that's when the penny dropped for me and I started dollar cost averaging in from uh, from 2017 using my Bitcoin Saver back then. And and the rest is history. As yes, I put more in, I learned more because I was taking it far more seriously. Like those who don't have any skin in the game, of course, they're going to be cynical. But as soon as you start putting skin in the game, it becomes a lot more real, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Oh, I think there's a couple of things there. Um, I think the first one that's really important to identify is that new zealand for the most part has never had a currency crisis we've had stock market crashes um you know there was a few big ones sort of before my time um but certainly in terms of money uh, new zealand's always kind of had it pretty good um you know we've always been in a beneficial situation um you know wars could happen and you know new zealand was was relatively safe um and so we've we've never had the failure of our currency we've we've seen it go through a couple of periods we had the new zealand pound New Zealand dollar, decimalisation, all of that. Um, But we've never experienced a currency crisis. And so I think there's a certain degree of naivety. And um, perhaps you could call it hubris around the way money works in this country. Um, And I've got a good friend from Zimbabwe. And he moved to New Zealand when he was 15 years old. And he gave me um, recently a $500 million Zimbabwean dollar as a bit of a gift. And he's like, Cody, you're a millionaire now. And you know, you realize, I mean, that was an extreme case, but you realize, you know, that currencies and all fiat currencies um, eventually fail. Uh, it's just, a, you know, the, the fact. And even that word fiat, maybe a lot of people don't know what that means, but it's money that's not backed by anything. And this is quite a paradigm shift to begin to even un- understand what this means, right? Money is money, you know, but actually what what is money is, is the big question. And you know, I think with something like land or even, you know, securities, stocks, you know, ownership of a company, you've got this tangible thing on the other side. Um, and it's it's something that's redeemable, it's tradable, it's it's physical. Um, the challenge with Bitcoin for a lot of people is that though it is tangible, it's not physical. It is a digital thing. But because it is digitally scarce and it's the first time we've ever seen digitally scarce assets, um, it's, it's a little bit of a, a, a different way of looking at it. And I think that's what uh, is is hard for a lot of people, especially traditional investors, to sort of grok what that means. Um, but certainly, I think there is a a status quo in investing in in, in New Zealand. Certainly, I mean, you look at housing, um, you look at shares, you look at this, you know, the Kiwi saver. There's this kind of go-tos these gold standards um even though they're not gold standards but you know these go-tos for for where you invest your money and i think that that's can be quite problematic because everyone's sort of just following what the neighbors are doing and they're not really looking for that asymmetric uh, opportunity or really growth opportunity they're sort of just saying oh we just want to keep our head above water and and go from there you know what i mean
1: totally i totally know what you mean and I i i always struggle around this to be honest because i'm not from new zealand natively i've lived here for 30 years mind you I'm not that old but I've lived more of my, more of my life here than I have in Canada where I'm from so but I guess I mentioned that because it feels a little bit easier in a way to spot the difference because I can still remember a different culture a different way of thinking and um, but I struggle I guess talking about it because it can come across as a little bit patronizing. I guess you could say if if I was to make comment on anything about New Zealand culture, because it's, I, I don't feel like I properly own it. And so I have to be really careful with how I pitch this because I, I still think New Zealanders are the best people in the world. And this is the best country to be in, in the entire world. And I come from a pretty cool country, I think, but I will every day choose to be in this country over where I came from. No yeah. problem. So yeah. in a sense, I know that I actually value this place a lot more than some locals do. Yeah, But I think with, when it comes to, Following the herd, I don't know why. Maybe it's the sheep. We we take our cue from everybody else rather than what we have seen with our own eyes. And it comes down to this whole thing, getting rid of our preconceived notions and our paradigms that we view the world through and actually looking at things as what they are. Yeah.
0: Um, shining, yeah, Shining a light on it. And look, I, I admire you for that because one thing that's quite common in, in uh, the Bitcoin space is that the people who uh, should... Um, you know, or the people who ought to understand it the best are the ones who are at least are willing to even take take a look at it, and that includes people who are involved in traditional finance, people who are involved in uh, software engineering, people who you would think, man, they they must get it, and in fact, it's the people who you wouldn't expect who are most likely to get it. So, for example, farmers are very open and understand Bitcoin; they get it, yeah, that's right? So, they do. And I've, I've interviewed a few people who are involved in um, you know, who work on the land and they on, on my show and. They get it because for them you know the how many head of sheep or cattle that you've got that that's that's real that's value that's money that um is in the bank effectively um yeah. it's it's not a derivative it's not this financialized abstraction it's it's real No, that's um, right
1: those are those are little biological miners out there in the field right and, and yeah. they're on land that hopefully they own. They get physical precious metals. They get Bitcoin better than most people. I don't know why
0: either. Yeah, I mean, they they understand gold and and, and that as well very well. So I've found that those sorts of people can understand a lot better. Or people who um, have maybe been marginalized by the traditional system. And I would include people like myself in that system because, I mean, certainly I've been priced out of the housing market in this country. Um, You know, I've seen what what it was like for my parents and my grandparents. And it's just a totally different situation where you've got an average house price of a million dollars or whatever it is. And you think that's just ridiculous like for a a, a moldy state house in upper hut you're gonna pay one million dollars like I, I just cannot believe that and we're still i mean we're seeing that uh, correction in that space but um still the fact that it went there goes to show that that was where money was pooling, value was pooling in these assets and that sort of i think is is the the way value you know the system has been optimized for value to to, to, to you know these assets to be financialized and, and and in a way that they really shouldn't have been you know they weren't suited to it, I mean housing's um, you know it's not portable it's you know very difficult to liquidate it's you know there's a lot of challenges with it and, um, not to add add to that but there's also uh, you know government restrictions on on building new houses there's a, a whole lot of complexity to it which means it it was a good investment for many people but you 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 know for, for many others you can't even get started with it. Whereas with Bitcoin, you can, you know, you can buy fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, you can get started. It's very easy, very liquid, and it's designed from the beginning to be money. You know, yeah. it's not something else that's been co opted as a financial asset because mon- the money is broken. Um and so I think that sort of paradigm shift as you say, and and looking at it um quite straight on and and really you know, opening your, your eyes to what's going on and and realizing that there is change in the air. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've taken away from these last few years is that you know things aren't going to be the way they were and in fact we're never going to go back to the way things were. And so we need to look at what um and this is something you you said to me earlier um what what is the crisis and what is the opportunity that is coming downrange, and how can we successfully engage with that when it does arrive.
1: That's right. I think you're so perceptive um you mentioned before we we push record that you're you're probably more you would describe yourself as a creative person than I blown away by that Um, just hearing you speak you're you're obviously you, you get this a lot more than the people that should get it like people that do what I do should get this yet it's the creatives those that are like you say those that are marginalized or you feel marginalized right and it kind of speaks to this broader theme of this is kind of what I believe is potentially unfolding in the crisis opportunities or the crisis and opportunity paradigms that we see or the spheres of crisis and opportunity buckets that we see all kind of converging right now is this theme that the first will be last the last will be first and it's like a rotation or it's a, a flipping around this axis of hubris right where the status quo the incumbent the already is going to be challenged by the not yet or they're not quite mature, but already way more capable than the mature. And those on the outside will be on the in because they looked at things for what they were, not some other, not something else that they were told by somebody else. Right? They were actually individual people thinking for themselves. And if we can harness that change rather than be steamrolled by it, there's that's the stance. It's so simple. Like we're, we we will so easily freak out like a possum in the headlight and just stand still and just stare at negativity. Some of us will be fascinated too much by it. Some of us will bury our head in the hand because the light is just too bright. We ignore it. Either way, we get steamrolled by it because we're looking at it. We're looking at the negative side of it. Yet on the other side of that coin, in equal measure is an amazing opportunity. With Bitcoin, it's a perfect example of this that the Disruption that we're completely ignorant of here in New Zealand, especially because we've never had a currency crisis, that's starting to impact the rest of the world a lot more. We can see examples of it. We can see all the pieces moving in place geopolitically. If we actually stop watching our local news and look a little bit more internationally, you can see this happening right now. And if we can position ourselves to harness the change rather than be a victim of it, we will be prosperous. Yes. With what? Well, we have to be open-minded with what that new wealth for the new world looks like and genuinely be open-minded, not always translate it into fiat currency denominated wealth. But if we're open to adopt a new definition of what real wealth is for the new world, I think we can actually get
0: some of it, Yeah, which is pretty cool. And I'm, I've got um, two little stories to share with you that I think will illustrate sort of my perspective on this. So um, I'm here in Wellington. I'm in the capital city um i walked down to the dairy just down the road uh to pick up some milk for the office you know for the coffee machine good man two liters of milk fonterra blue top six dollars Six dollars and seventy cents for two liters of milk and i thought to myself you know this is this is hyperinflation this is ridiculous um and i went to pay and the fpos machine didn't work and i i tried another card it didn't work so i had to open up my wallet get out a ten dollar note kate shepherd gave it to to the lady in the dairy and i we made our transaction and so there was two major failings there there was the fpos network didn't work and then there was uh the ridiculous price of what i would consider a basic commodity and then I'm going to contrast that with another story. I was, I had a podcast, uh, I recorded a show last night with a young Maori lawyer um, talking about um, how Bitcoin can enable a, a lot of self-sovereignty and a lot of independence for small Maori communities in New Zealand. Awesome. And she wasn't super familiar with Bitcoin. I asked her to download Wallet of Satoshi onto her iPhone, it took about yep. five seconds. I asked her to hold it up to her screen while we were doing the video chat and I and uh, I, I scanned the QR code that uh, appeared on her phone and I sent her $10 worth of Bitcoin. And that transaction, buy some milk. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, that transaction happened without any third party in, involved. That transaction happened uh, without any, any fees. That transaction happened totally peer to peer. And for me, that really illustrates the difference that we're, we're seeing and in, in, in the two paths that are before us. We have one, which is a legacy system, which is, uh, you know under its own weight feeling uh it feels like it's starting to collapse and the Mm. other one is this new lightweight peer-to-peer system for transacting value globally and not everyone's aware of of the full extent of what's possible technically because we use something called the lightning network which sits on top of bitcoin um there's a little bit of technical detail there but basically that's going to be what everyone uses in the future i believe and Mm. The fact that that knowledge is not it's not uh, distributed evenly, um, you know, many people are not even aware that uh, what you know what Bitcoin is, let alone what some of these layer two technologies are like. Um, for me, shows that there's a real uh, asymmetric opportunity here, and I think there's a certain kind of normalcy bias where if you look at what everyone's always done, it takes a long time to change those habits. And I mean, to be fair, I mean New Zealand was one of the first countries to adopt FPOS uh back in the 80s i believe Mm -hmm. um you know so we've had sort of these periods of change but then they ossify and they start sort of staying that they become the status quo and i think these ideas of things like kiwi saver of housing of um you know of of the different ways of preserving your wealth have have become ossified and they've become dogmatic you know housing you can never go wrong even though we're seeing 15 percent slump in housing Um, stocks you can never go wrong even though we're seeing massive quantitative easing that's injecting this money uh, and then and some are winning and some are losing it it's the, the the recipe isn't working anymore and i think people are starting to wonder why the cake doesn't taste so good
1: that's really well said and back in 2009 so bitcoin roughly what 13 years old born out of the global financial crisis obviously there was a sign back then that what you just said was happening yet it's taken 13 years for you and i to have this conversation
0: well i i mean i i was born of the financial crisis in the sense that that was the beginning of my career that was the beginning of my university days um i didn't know anything else and in fact it was so difficult uh, darcy that i ended up having to leave new zealand um I, i moved over to uh japan i was working in japan for many years and i thought you know there was nothing here and i know it's tough for young people today but Um, even back then there was no jobs in Wellington I I tell you like at least now you know there's a lot of stuff you can do and if you haven't got a job you can drive Ubers you can do that sort of thing but there wasn't even that um, back then and it wasn't purely because of the financial crisis I think there was a a few other factors involved but um, I couldn't wait to get out I I was itching to get out and um, coming back today it's like well things are a little bit better but they're also worse in other, in other regards and New Zealand never felt the full brunt of it like I imagine Canada and the United States were really quite heavily hit by that um, but yeah it's it's certainly I mean we're feeling the echoes of it today for real
1: oh absolutely and I think it's kind of like a D-Day versus V-Day sort of thing like there was a turning of the tide back in oh eight oh nine, 9 where we realized things are dying but it's not dead yet, and it still might not be dead, like the existing financial system specifically is what I'm referring to. It's still not dead, it's still functioning, it's still fine, and it's still possible to build wealth through traditional means. And I think for the most part, it would be, in my view anyway, and this is me talking as a, as a financial advisor, it would probably be unwise to completely throw away the status quo, but you'd certainly want to draw a line somewhere between zero to 100 and choose a number that represents the likelihood that the past will continue on into the future, much as it always has been, and then choose a number therefore on the other side of that, that represents the possibility that things will never, ever, ever, ever be the same again. And the faster we can get on with that, the better. That's basically how how to split your portfolio, in my view. So for me personally, I I choose 80-20. So 80%, things will continue on much as it always has been. I'll invest accordingly. 20%, things are never gonna be the same. And I just need to sit tight and wait for it to happen because if I've allocated my 20% thoughtfully and correctly, and I believe I have, and I've done everything I can to reduce the risks present with that alternative strategy, then it's just a matter of time. The benefit from that, not necessarily expressed in fiat currency, will make itself known over time if I'm right. Now, I might be too conservative. I might be too aggressive. I don't know. But... It's a number that I had to choose, and I think that's kind of how we need to think about this is almost partition our brain around the two the two realities, the two ways that things can go forward.
0: yeah, well, I think the other thing to look at as well is you're in a obviously in a different life stage to me um, and so you know that ratio is different, but you know for myself um you know there's no way housing is an option um you'd and, probably
1: you'd probably invert it, wouldn't you
0: yeah, I mean housing. Uh, it's, it's simply not even a consideration for me. And, and, you know, I look at the, again, you know, looking, comparing apples with apples, um, uh, what's, what I could get uh, in, in Japan, what I could get um, in, in other parts of the world for what I would be paying in New Zealand, it's not even worth thinking about. Like, um, in fact, um, you know, there's places, Nagasaki, different parts of Japan, where, in fact, you can get a house pretty much for free. Um, you just have really? to pay the land tax on it. Um, you know I lived in Japan for five years and I got to know um, a a lot of these sort of um, places I did a lot of photography and and a lot of creative work in in rural Japan and they have farmhouses they've got farmland that you know no no one wants to live there everyone's moving to Tokyo and they get they're giving them away and you just have to fill out a bit of paperwork and so it's like there's there is option options globally Um, and and I think this also reflects um, a broader change which is also this kind of connection to the nation-state which sounds a bit kind of woo-woo but I mean, I, I certainly felt like um, there was a stab in the back with the way New Zealand was, um, 2008, 9, 10. Um, you know, there was no jobs. There was nothing uh, for me as a young person coming up. And I left and I had this great opportunity to work. I built a career overseas. Now I've come back and it's it's like, oh, I, I always had these dreams that New Zealand, you know, it was always in my heart and, you know, as, as my home. But then I came back and I've had three years of insanity, three years of 7% uh you know six seven percent inflation roads are broken infrastructure is falling apart you know at least in japan i can take a bullet train from tokyo to osaka in a couple of hours um here it's like yeah you're going to take a bus to auckland it's not a train what train it's it's i mean and look, it's my home i love this place but it's 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 crumbling it's falling apart and i feel that it's not because of any, any, any of us, it's because there's some systematic challenges and problems uh, with the way we've invested for the future, the way we've invested in infrastructure, and all of that I feel comes back to what I would call time preference. And so again, that's where we come back to life stages you know for myself, you know I've got a, a very long time preference now and bitcoins really helped develop that. Um, you know I'm thinking, okay, what's going to happen in 10 years, what's going to happen in 20 years? That's what I'm trying to build for. I'm not interested in making a quick buck. I'm already poor um i don't you know that's nothing's going to change that in the short term but what i can do is start building for a longer term future and i think that's part of this bigger change that i uh, you know and, and i feel this from a lot of my uh a lot of my friends and, and peers is that they don't they want don't don't want the short-term thing they don't want the short-term credit to buy stuff they don't really need they they would rather sort of knuckle down invest for the future and build a better world for themselves um if, if that makes sense sort of Oh totally. Changing attitudes towards value and time preference.
1: And I think you've you've caught onto something that I've 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 been learning a little bit more about time preference a lot, thanks to Saif Adin Amos, the Bitcoin standard. Yep. That book is just phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, look at that. You got it in your hand right there. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of those principles and just like the principles of Austrian economics just really naturally, I guess, resonate with me. And completely contrary to what I would have learned in university, uh, it seems to be the antidote for what we really need. And it kind of speaks to what you were saying before there. Like the, I kind of look at any organizational structure as a – obviously, it's just a collection of people. It's almost like hands on a Ouija board, right? And sometimes you don't know what's going to come out of it, and it's a bit spooky how it acts. It takes on a life of its own. I'm, sp- I'm talking specifically about government here now, but we are – under the influence of an organization that as much as we like to influence it for better, it has this natural tendency to take us to places which aren't always in our best interest. And we now have realms that are growing around us where we can almost leave that without physically leaving it. Like we can leave the financial system now. We couldn't do that before. Yeah. We can leave it digitally. We've got this artificial intelligence that's taking off which means we can literally be other places we're having a conversation across the country that we couldn't have before and it feels like i'm in the same room with you um that didn't happen before like there the, the work situation isn't relevant anymore you can work anywhere you want now uh, it's disruptive but it's also amazing because we can now legitimately come out from underneath what is not necessarily in new zealand but in many places across the world oppressive government regimes that seek to purposefully exploit those that they are supposed to serve. And that is a spectrum disorder. And to assume that New Zealand were immune from that would be folly to the extreme. Yeah. Um, But I don't know how, I wouldn't want to comment on where we're at in that spectrum, but I would suggest that we need to be mindful of it.
0: Yeah, well, I think what what Bitcoin really represents, and I also just want to clarify as well for any listeners, um, there's a huge difference uh between sort of quote unquote crypto and bitcoin and um it's just worth dwelling on that for a second but there's a lot of i mean bitcoin was was the first um it came out uh, the white paper was released in 2008 and then it started um properly in 2009 and started running and at that point its settings and its core values were locked in in terms of the supply of bitcoin the fixed supply um, all of those key things that make it valuable, everything else that came after was a copycat and was never able to reproduce that uh, initial um, uh, uh, that initial kickoff that, you know, because for a long time Bitcoin didn't have any value for a couple of years then, you know, they were giving them away um, and it, so it had this natural opportunity to, uh, for price discovery which every other so-called crypto has tried to kind of copy and and you know people who maybe are not really sure of the technical differences they think well you know i've missed bitcoin but i can get this next other thing that is not the case bitcoin is the only thing that matters everything else um is at the very best um a knockoff and at the very worst is an outright scam uh security there's no um you know a lot of them have centralized um, governing groups who can kind of control the supply and that sort of thing Bitcoin is fully decentralized. So I think that's just worth um, clarifying. Um, But really, what I think it is, is it it presents an optionality and presents a place that you can now stand and look at the other, the existing system with. And I've got got another little story for you. So the other night, I caught up with some of my Wellington friends. Um, So the four of us um, went over to their flat, you know, and we're all about the same age, sort of late 20s, early 30s, sort of thing. And we all sat there and we, were, you know, we were laughing i think, you know what? We we should all have our own homes. We should all have families. We should all be, you know, doing well. And yet here we are in a cold, mouldy Wellington flat, um, eating shrewsberries and uh, drink drinking cheap beer. And I think there's something about that which you know, New Zealand, New Zealanders, especially people who are maybe a little bit older. Fail to sort of see, and they think, well, you know, that's something for students, that's something for for young people who are trying to find their way. But there's a certain emerging reality now that a lot of people um, are really, you know, locked out. They're, they're renters for life. They, um, what you know, they wage earners. They're not really able to build any wealth. And you also you look at New Zealand's wages, salaries in the OECD, they're not anything special. Um, in fact, I think they're pretty low um you know i'm very lucky i can do work sometimes for you know, you know american companies and that so i'm able to get us dollars and i feel like i'm this like you know i'm doing this arbitrage. it's like yeah i'm getting some juicy usd because uh, certainly the new zealand dollar doesn't go very far at all and i think there's a certain kind of blindness to what's going on and so you're talking about this kind of spectrum of countries you've got on one hand you know strife and civil war and on the other hand kind of this golden utopia but Actually, I think New Zealand's issues, I mean, they're they're understated. We have a pretty cohesive society. But there's certainly cracks forming. And you just have to look at some of the things happening in Auckland. You've got these ram raids. You've got this violence. You've got these things on the edges that, you know, before they weren't really there, but now they're on the periphery and they're becoming more and more apparent. Every day you open up the newspaper, you open up your your news. You see another ram raid in Hamilton, Auckland, Kumu, Pukakoi. You see... Some you know issues with homeless people, issues with substance abuse, and these are not things that happened to my New Zealand at, to this degree when I was a kid, you know. And I'm pretty sure, you know, I I wasn't looking as closely as I am now, but and there's always been issues. But these emergent social things, you know, I think they are a direct outcome of uh, this this systematic failure that's that's taking place. And New Zealanders are good people, and so they'll try their best to make it work for as long as they can. In fact, most people on earth I think, are good people and they'll make it work but you get to a breaking point when people lose hope and that's when you start running into issues i think and i don't, I don't think we're there yet but in many parts of the world they're, they're already at that place
1: and it can change like i i moved to new zealand first 1986 so i had a i had a um i had an opportunity to look at the imprint of the recent history not the recent history of course because it was before my time but I, I i could see kind of remnants or reminders that new zealand went through something not too dissimilar to what we kind of feel right now, obviously very different, but around the Springbok tour, there there was a lot of heightened anxiety and a um I guess a bipolar view in many areas, and, and, and that kind of erupted into an event there. This is different, but it's the same in a way, because culturally we're the same people, or sort of half of us are the same people, I guess. There's a lot of new arrivals, myself included, but there there is there is a um, an echo i think of that that you kind of almost need to remove a little bit to see what could happen next but you're right like these these are signs and symptoms these are these are the effects these are the um i guess the signposts that are pointing to structural shifts and tensions that are beneath the surface that will break out yeah. and we like i remember talking about this on the podcast probably like there's so much stuff that i've talked about over about 5 years that scares the crap out of me because i was just going to a creative space and was talking about things that a lot of this stuff is now coming to play and i don't call myself a prophet i'd like to think this is a not not not-for-profit organization but it it feels it feels spooky just just like the level of um, angst that a growing population in new zealand is feeling and you were kind of touching on it before with your your circle of friends, I would say that that you're not a fringe member of society by any means. You're probably indicative of a very large and growing group of people that feel alienated and pushed the side. Yeah. And that will come to a head. And it's not necessarily a problem that politicians can solve for us as much as we would like to expect them to. And we might vo- vote accordingly and fall for the promises. And I'm saying that because we're in election year to a certain extent i would say that it is the regulation itself that has caused the need for more regulation it's a drug well
0: um, yeah yeah certainly i mean and again i mean i'm in wellington um i see it every day i literally walk past the reserve bank i walk past the beehive and uh, on, on the way to work and i see you know the this apparatus these you know the apparatus of government and of the state and obviously that's, you know, New Zealand's always had that um, bedrock of um, of a parliamentary system and that, you know, we haven't, again, we're naive, we haven't had coup d'etat, we haven't had um, really in, 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 in recent times um, anything um, close to uh, civil war or internal conflict. Um, there was a period before um, really the, the development of, of the parliamentary system and that where there was, you know, regional conflict as, you know, New Zealand uh, was being colonised, but you know, as New Zealand is today in this current format, it hasn't seen any of that um, turmoil again. We're an island in the South Pacific, very disconnected from everything else. And so there's a certain degree of political naivety. And I believe spending time overseas, you know, I've been to Japan, I've been to China, I've been to many parts of Asia, um, and you know, you understand the history of change and how it can just happen. And I mean, for example, Japan, people think, man, if you've been to Japan, um, it's you know people think this is the loveliest place in the world. These are the nicest people in the world, but people don't realize in the 1930s it was uh, a junta. You know they had um, several um, high-profile assassinations of prime ministers, of um, members of staff. The um, military, um, you know, the military took over the government and and they went into the war. Uh, it was a huge period of turmoil. Um, after the war, they had the student riots in the 1960s, um, and there was a lot of these historical things which people think, no way, Japan could never do that. But yeah. You know, peaceful, peaceful, lovely Japan has that history. Um, other parts of the world have that history. Um, and what you you have is you have that moment um, and the, the sort of that opportune moment. The Greek word for it is kairos. You know, the the right time for something to happen, um, as opposed to chronos, which is just the you know the kind of the clock time. Mm-hmm. And that kairos, you know, that that time, uh, opportune time. I believe you know we're seeing that emerge now. We've got an election year. We've got massive. You know, discontent, I think, with people. We've got uh, still the amnesia of of the COVID pandemic era and the sort of, um, you know, the shock from that is still, I think, with a lot of people. And and what does that lead to? I I don't know. New Zealand's a very peaceful place, um, very lovely people, very caring people, I think. But um, certainly, if you make enough people unhappy, and most importantly, if you remove hope, I think that's when people start thinking, well, there's nothing here for me. Totally. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah those that have nothing to lose and those that have everything to lose put them in the same room
0: yeah and and i think that the traditional and and uh, you know we we shouldn't dwell on this too long but i think the traditional dichotomy the traditional sort of analysis of this is that it's a a political problem it's um you know an us versus them problem it's um neighbor against neighbor and and i really feel that that's a flawed uh, analysis and you know you but I can see why it's easy to do that. You know, I grew up in a place called Flaxmere in Hawke's Bay. It's a very, very um, poor place. Um, you go up to the Bay of Plenty, go up to Toronga, and you see the beautiful big houses. Everyone's got the boats, the jet skis, and you think, you know, how could I ever even think about having that? Um, let alone, um, uh, you know, even a house. And and I mean that's an insidious idea. But I accept it because these are still my people. These are my family. These are my friends um that's not I, I don't want to have that conflict i don't want it to be a political thing i don't want it to be left versus right i don't want it to be about any of that because we are you know we are one people what it is is it's a systematic issue around the way the monetary system works i believe and so bitcoin represents optionality it represents a fixed supply of of money you've got it you either have it or you don't and your bitcoin and my bitcoin as the value increases over time, they both increase at the same time. You're not more privileged than me because you're a, you know, you're a chief executive of a bank, but also our former prime minister, John Key. You're not more privileged than me because you work in government and you're able to get the money before anyone else. Um, people familiar with the Cantillon effect um, will know that the closer you are to the money printer, the, the more likely you are to be able to purchase hard assets than you will be to um, uh, someone like, you know, if you're working for wages. Um, there's a lot of these systematic inequalities, which I think they're not political problems. They're systematic issues that if you try to fix it politically, you just create more, you sow more discontent, if yeah. you know what I mean. And I think you're
1: yeah. you getting to the root cause of the problem, right? Which is where the root solution, not the root cause of the problems, but the, the core solution, which is fix the money, fix the world,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's something a lot of Bitcoiners say, fix the money, fix the world. And it's a very simple, a simple change. You know, you just start using Bitcoin. Yeah. Um. You start accepting it. You start thinking in Bitcoin. Yeah. Stop thinking in dollars. Um, Well, it's
1: it's a vote, isn't it? Every time you're taking your fiat currency and you're translating it into Bitcoin, you're voting for the change that you really want because you're actually taking your power that's been bestowed upon you through this fiat currency system, which is kind of, some would say it's a little bit phony, and you're translating that into something that's effectively more real certainly more real for the world that we're going into. So naturally, if you're doing that translation, if you're playing that time arbitrage right now from the already to the not yet, naturally, we'll have more influence. And naturally, things will have to evolve around those yeah. that own the wealth. Yeah, And that's kind of the way it is now, which some of us don't like. Um, but we have a chance. We have a chance to actually make that decision. But my, I guess my frustration is that most... uh most of the people I talk to, they don't get it. They still think that it's actually about gaming the system to make more money, make more fiat currency, rather than escaping or translating into a new system that will give them more of what they really need for the new future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: a difficult thing, right? Like you've been to J- Japan, right? And I'm sure the first time that you went there, you were translating yen back to New Zealand dollars for the first long time. Yeah. Until eventually you're just like, well, stop it. It's all about yen because I'm in I'm in this new country. I got to think yeah. like this yeah and it was when you started to do that that you really started to get it probably right like how to actually how people do make it work over there
0: yeah and i've got i think it's important um i've I've got a bit of a um a lens which I'll share with you around how I look at this because I mean we're talking about bitcoin today um but really what what does it mean what is it um what is its value proposition and I think we we must you know clearly look at the way the world is going, you know the internet. Uh, has become central to all of our communications i 'm talking to you right now over the internet. Um, I run my business over the internet um, Our lives are effectively run over the internet today um and you know no matter who you are, I think you know you you can you can see that and so what we 're seeing is Bitcoin is money for a internet connected world and though we have had the internet for some time um it it was it didn 't have this uh penetration and and absolute coverage that it has today. And so the way I like to think of Bitcoin is uh, a bit of a matrix, right? So we've got, on one hand, we've got hyperlocal and hyperglobal. It's two kind of modes of engagement. You know, me sitting in the room next to you, but also me talking to someone on the other side of the world. Hyperlocal, hyperglobal, and then the other two uh, on this matrix are microtransactions and macrotransactions. And between those four uh, quadrants. I believe Bitcoin is able to solve and provide a, a very powerful way to send value between any of those in a way that you can't do with fiat money. So, for example, I can run my podcast. People can send me tiny amounts of Bitcoin. They can stream it to me using the Lightning Network, uh, and that's a hyperglobal transaction for micro uh, hyperglobal hyperglobal micro transactions. Uh, just in the same vein, if I want to. Um, you know, build a, an, a website or an API or, or something that people can engage with, you know, maybe I have a small, you know, 10, one Satoshi, 10 Satoshi, um, you know, paywall to engage with that. And it's worth mentioning. So there's 21 million Bitcoin. Each Bitcoin has 100 million Satoshis inside. Of it. So think of them as sort of dollars or cents effectively. So you've got these global transactions that can happen instantaneously with no fees. If you try doing that with credit cards, you know, you've got a 3% fee, you've got minimum charges of like $1, $2. With Bitcoin, you can send 0.1 cents, uh, you know, globally. So that's hyper-global. But then you've also got uh, macro transactions, you know, hyper-global, you know, settlements between banks and nation-states. You can send a billion dollars of liquidity and does the system doesn't care. It just does it, you know, it's not even a blip in the price. You can send $100 million uh, using, a, using your phone. There's no paperwork there's no big wire transfer things to fill out there's no scrutiny uh, on that you can just do it um and then you've got hyperlocal i can send you satoshis over my phone um i can send uh you know i can send i can pay for a car or i can buy secondhand goods with some uh with some satoshis uh, with some bitcoin uh locally and so all four of those can be connected and that's really because it's internet native you can't do that with fiat money you know even today try getting out five thousand dollars in cash to pay for something you know they're not going to let you do it try paying for uh you know we want to buy a second-hand car you got to go to the bank and book in a time to withdraw that amount of money that's um, right they, don't, you they don't
1: hold more than a certain amount um, sometimes it could be five grand sometimes it could be 30 grand, but you don't know.
0: Yeah. And at the same time, you know, I've got friends. I was on a call yesterday with another another um, couple who are based in El Salvador. And, you know, I sent, um, you know, I'm able to send them a little bit of Bitcoin over uh, over the Lightning Network instantaneously. El Salvador doesn't even have, you know, a, 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 its own you know real banking infrastructure, but I can still use the use Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. Um, I've got friends, you know, in other parts of the world who I can send Bitcoin to. And all I need is, is that QR code. That that Bitcoin address and we're able to transact. There's no barriers, um, mm, and yeah. and that really that I think that's that's the power that I, I'm beginning to allude to. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm
1: I'm curious as well, Cody. Like you are like you're irresponsibly long in terms of your commitment to this space. To quote Raul Paul, um, you are um, you ex- either experimenting or using. I don't know anything about this, but you you mentioned before. This uh, the micropayments thing. Can you just unpack that a little bit for me? Because I'm really curious. About, and I've heard of Noster. I don't fully get it. I'm early on in my, in my learning around that. But I'm also thinking about my own podcast, my own content creation. I'm aware that there is this coming struggle, I think, uh, around what we can talk about, especially as it relates to finance. I really think that there's going to be coming a time where you and I having a conversation like this could be as dangerous as talking about the event that happened in uh you know a few years ago and yeah. having different views on that and so yeah. like how do you how do you, how does this work how do, how do you actually get paid to create content in sats or satoshis
0: yeah well i think breaking it down to start with um think of it as layers and so this core layer that we have uh for for the Uh, for for how I'm communicating with you right now and and so the 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 theme of communication the core layer of that is the internet that's cables laid underneath the the ocean that's TCP IP it's all of these this infrastructure and then on top of that you've got the web you've got zoom you've got uh, email you've got these these layer twos and these layer threes that are built on top of that so that's sort of layered approach is very important to think about you can't build on day one back in the 80s or the 70s you couldn't have had zoom because the technology wasn't there you're trying to build zoom straight away um you know it wouldn't ever have worked and so in a funny turn of history you know that it started off by using the phone lines to have the internet went went over the phone lines now phone lines go over the internet there's this sort of flipping right and if you think of that same approach that same mental model but for uh, value transfer and so We've got this base layer, which is the Bitcoin ledger, decentralized. I have a miner right next to me here in my office. I've also got a full node. um, And that is on that full node, I have a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain. That's the ledger of truth that all transactions are settled on. So the
1: single Uh, source of truth does reside in Wellington. We've established that. That's good. Yes,
0: yes. Um, And so I have that. Um, copy but along with hundreds of thousands if not millions of others and so we have consensus on what that source of truth looks like um, now to transact on that that's uh, every 10 minutes that is updated uh, on average every 10 minutes that um, that blockchain ledger gets updated my node gets updated everyone else's does um, that's a little bit slow uh, for doing a micro transaction if you want to swipe your credit card it feels like that's actually a, a bit fast, even though in a roundabout way it takes you know, a lot longer, a couple of days. So it's like set.
1: dial-up internet, really. a Dial-up internet over copper lines analogy yeah. right there, right?
0: Yeah, and, and that, that's that's good. And I, you can still use that um, to send, you know, large value. And I, and I would, you know, if, if you're going to be settling between banks and, and nation states in the future, um, the Bitcoin ledger, which everyone can verify for themselves what it says, that's where you would use that. Um, however, in the last few years, we've seen the emergence of some, some of this layer two technology. And so the Lightning Network is one example of that. And so Bitcoin, the base layer, the protocol is what the TCP IP, the, the cables under the C are for the internet. The layer two is what the web is. And the layer two is something like the Lightning Network is still using Bitcoin, but it, it sort of is floating above that. And so you can have these microtransactions, which have um, pretty much no fees. They're instantaneous, you know, as the name suggests. Uh, and you can use those for, um, you know, even like sending one Satoshi, or in fact, I believe you can even send um, um, fractions of, of a single Satoshi, which at the moment, one. it'd be like 0.1 cents. You know, it's it's a, a minuscule amount of value, yeah. but you can send that without having to spend $3 in fees on the credit card. So what that's enabled now is that I can, you know, I can, but that's what I would use to buy a coffee. Now, I'm not going to use the base chain. Once upon a time, people use the base chain to do that. and you still can. Um, that's fine, uh, but in the future, you know that that base chain is going to be reserved for, you know, huge nation states, huge companies, um, people like you and I who, who are, you know have got into Bitcoin at this point are going to be able to use that. Um, but for my, your average person, they're probably going to have a Lightning wallet, um, you know, something. Maybe even A and Z and Westpac put put out their own Lightning wallets, the custodial, however they want to do it. That's what most people are going to be using. And what it enables, though, is for example, my podcast. Um, people listening to my podcast on apps like Fountain or Breeze or there 's a bunch of others, they're actually able to stream value to me as they listen. and so they can send ten satoshis, hundred satoshis, kind of like uh, uh, we don't even have a concept for it in fiat world, but it's like you're giving I'm, I'm giving value. we call it value for value I 'm giving you value as you listen. The listener gives me value back. Um, and I do that as well as I, when I listen to other people's podcasts, I stream um, a certain amount every minute. Um, and they get there and it's instant and final that they, they receive that value. And how, fun- how does
1: that work though? Like you mentioned that when you're listening, you might go, wow, I really love that point. I'm going to, I'm going to give them 10 sets over the lightning network. How do you actually do that?
0: Um, so you, there's two ways of doing it. So you can, um, you can either just set it, it's like a, it just automatically starts streaming as, as you click play on a podcast, it will just start sending Satoshi's. Um, but you can also boost. Um, and you can you know maybe you want to do like a fifty thousand sets you know and be, be a bit of a baller you can actually send a larger amount but i just have yeah. it set on default um to send a, a certain amount every minute right and it just runs in the background and it's because you know i don't i don't mind sending that it's a micro where, where, where is
1: it where is it set though like when you say you've set it just to set like a regular amount is it set on your podcast player that you're listening through or
0: yeah yeah so um if i listen to a podcast um you know, I can just show you that there. So in the top, there's the little lightning button. And yes. you just tap that and you say 10 or 20 or 100 sets per minute. And as I click play and as every minute that goes past, it will just stream that value. Um, we don't we don't have a concept for it in fiat, so it's quite new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that a
1: different app that you're listening to podcasts on that has that lightning function built into it or does does spotify
0: have that functionality Spotify doesn't have it yet um so as i said you've got to use um, something like fountain or breeze or um you can look uh for podcasting so we call this whole concept podcasting 2.0 um and there's a a bunch of apps out there that do it already um I, i think I can put some links uh, in, in the show notes, but um, there's a couple of websites that give you a different a breakdown of the different apps that you can use. Uh, right. But I think what we will see over time is that um, maybe some will be faster than others to adopt this functionality. But Spotify could actually enable this um, because it's all based on the RSS feed of the podcast. So all they have to do is implement it. They don't have to do anything special. Um, it's not like a, a, a you know, it's not a centralized system. That's the thing. Like. It's a open protocol. And so anyone who wants to enable support for this can. They just have sure. to update their apps, you know? So it's Kind of cut it, cutting
1: their own lunch out of it probably to a certain degree, right? But Well, not really. It's kind of going on top of their revenue model rather than disrupting it, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I would also sort of um, look at it as well, like for your own show, Um, I mean, I I had another podcast that I was running for about a year looking at creativity in in a chaotic world just throughout the lockdown era. It was really important for me to just kind of talk about that stuff. And I mean, I, I never made a single dollar off the actual podcast. I was able to do some kind of secondary monetization, but I imagine it's similar for yourself. You know, you do financial advice and that people listen to your show. But in terms of actually making money directly from the show, that's not really an option at the moment, is it? Not really, no. Um, And that's, I think, a real shame, whereas, you know, I've been very fortunate that people are able to support my podcast. And it's early days at the moment, and I'm not expecting it. Um, I'm not trying to grow it quickly because I'm I'm trying to focus on signal and high-quality content. But people have already supported me quite a lot through the show. Um, They Mm. stream Satoshi's, they boost it, um, they share it with their friends. And I'm yeah. like,
1: man, I've well, I, I, I listened to one of your podcasts using, um, I must have, maybe it was embedded on, on your website perhaps, but I listened to it and I could see that people from all over the world were streaming value to you by yeah. sending you some stats using this functionality. And there was like the ability to do messaging through it as well,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's powerful and it's it's a paradigm shift. And this is what I was saying before about that hyper global micro um, matrix where We've got people all over the world sending you know 110 100 satoshis you know all all less than a dollar in value really but they're signifying to me that they signaling that they are getting value from what i'm doing and they're, they're wanting to support that and i think this is where i get a bit meta and i look at well what's happening in terms of the internet and what's happening in terms of our civic involvement you know you look at something like instagram what is it like you're tapping like you've got the little heart there but no one wins from that. The only people who benefit are Instagram. The creator, I never made a single dollar. You know, I've got a pretty decent Instagram following. I never made a single dollar through Instagram. I made money off selling stuff by linking to my website and that sort of thing. But in terms of the ads and the millions and billions of dollars that were made by Facebook, I never had any ownership of that. I
1: totally get it. yeah. at, it's like, show me the money. Like, I, don't, I don't care about these little love heart emojis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And what, and what uh, the Lightning Network and Value for Value kind of posits as kind of a... a a move towards authenticity is that, you know, you tap that like button, you're going to send 10 Satoshis, a hundred Satoshis. Um, and there's a few other websites that have already Im- implemented this really well. And it's really early days at the moment, but I feel like, especially for Gen Z, for younger people who are digital natives, they're going to just be like, yep, this is what I want. And I think that's the other big consideration here is that the, you know, you're looking at it through a certain lens, your clients, I imagine are a certain demographic, generally speaking, but you also have to look at the emergent demographic people. You know, we had it tough growing up, in you know, the financial crisis. But look at Gen Z; they've just come out of this COVID stuff, the lockdowns, um, you know, seven eight percent inflation, global crisis, wars, nuclear apocalypse. They've got it. <laughs> they've got it pretty bad as well. And it's like, what are they going to do? What's their response going to be? Mm. Um, they're looking for authenticity. They're looking for that real connection. And um, I think, yeah, if, if, hopefully, I've answered your question. But like. I believe this sort of technology enables that connection between people for value transfer.
1: No, I get it. And I think that yeah, like if you want to relate to the natives, learn their language. Don't beat them over the head with the book and say, Learn mine, <laughs> you ignorant pig me, right? Like it's gotta be it's gotta be us coming to them, right? So for I'm I'm talking now as a financial advisor within a community which is um, male, pale, and stale right to use a really overused term and it's a little bit derogatory so forgive me for those other pale male and stale advisors out there but we're not necessarily talking the language of the next generation of clients that we're supposedly supposed to serve i it just blows my mind the distance between what you just said and what we in the industry talk about and what we concern about we're concerned about regulation we're concerned about um disruption and how to keep the status quo going despite these challenges. It's just so myopic and singular, It's just tiny thinking. Um, Whereas what you're describing is a future where it's not just decentralized protocols that enable value transfer over a a blockchain network, you're talking about actual people. And what you're actually really talking about is you're talking about the free market. Yeah, that's what you're talking about, aren't you? People that get value? Are willing to give value in exchange.
0: Yeah, and a a lot, lot, right? having experimented with it um, and used it, um, I'm I'm absolutely convinced that this is the future. You know, like I I believe we're seeing a reaction to, um, broadly speaking, globalization. We're seeing a, a pushback towards local local uh, local markets. This hyper local thing. Um, you know, I I want to go out of my way to support people around me, build communities. I don't want to be nameless and faceless. I want to be part of a, co- a community. Um, you know and this is uh, you know i'm I'm not Gen Z but I, I I can feel that from people around me who are um and it's 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 kind of a a pushback um and it's this sort of yin and yang this uh the, the 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 tidal waves of history you know come and go and I think um what was relevant um for people now who you know maybe you know your demographic they they came up in a system where fiat worked. You know, whether it was the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, whatever, you know, the system worked, the recipe worked, the recipe doesn't work anymore. And people are finding ways to get around that. Um, And whether that's, you know, people working digitally, you know, remote work, um, you know, they they happen to be in New Zealand, but they're not really engaged. You know, New Zealand companies don't interest them. Uh, Or people living globally. You know, the couple I spoke to yesterday living in El Salvador, a Kiwi couple from Nelson. um, They they work and live over there and they love it. Um, and and we're seeing this, I think, these questions being asked around, well, what is the nation? What is the country? Because I'll always be a New Zealander at heart. I love this country. But am I under the fiefdom of the Labour government, under under the fiefdom of the national government? I I don't know. I don't. These aren't my people. Um, They certainly don't represent me. They're they're supposed to. But um, I'm not feeling like there's a um, a connection there. And it's not a political, it's not something that can be fixed politically, I, I, I think. Um, you, know, that, right. you know, you yeah. know, we'll, we can lower the voting age, but that's not that's not going to change anything.
1: No, no, and I think yeah, politicians will use that what you just said to their advantage to get to gain control. But you're right. Like I've I've always been probably also one of those people on the outside, looking in, never naturally part of the in crowd. Um, but ironically or perversely, I don't know, depending how you look at it, I've seen that as an asset, yet an asset that I've never really been able to get a return on. Up until lately, yeah, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, stinking wealthy out of being an outsider at all. I'm not saying that yet, but I am saying that I can I can see that for myself. Being someone with an original voice who doesn't want to just go control, copy, paste somewhere else and regurgitate the status quo, I'm looking to innovate and disrupt and be a pioneer of sorts in any area that I can get involved in. Right, yeah, and that surely must be a common denominator between what you're describing and what I kind of feel on my end, right? Like there's this uprising, I guess you could say, or a seed of an uprising that's in place perhaps. And it's, there's some sort of connection there between those that have always been marginalized or on the outside. And it's not necessarily a violent thing that's going to take place, but it's a choice thing that's going to take place, isn't it? And so long as we have the choice, and yet that might be limited but so long as we have a choice we can actually leave our country without leaving our country if we don't like it or we can leave our job yeah. without leaving our job or our neighborhood or whatever because of technology
0: right yeah and i want to be very clear about this um, bitcoin is a peaceful revolution and um, i'm not even sure if revolution is the right word but it is a peaceful opt-in uh system you know i think uh, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, the challenges that we're gonna face with increased inflation, cost of living, um, politically motivated division of, of people, um, all of that is because of the fiat system. And I believe that the inevitable challenges that we might face and whether that ends up being something on the street, which I hope it doesn't um, in this country, but we're seeing that in places like France right now, um, I hope it doesn't come to that. But if it does, it will be because Absolutely, because of the cost of living crisis, because of um, um, people feeling marginalized and disenfranchised from the fiat system. However, Bitcoin uh, is not, it's, it's its an option that sits at the end of that, that people can say, well, look, we don't actually need to go and pick up the brick, because all we need to do is get a cell phone, get wallet with satoshi, start using Bitcoin, um, you know, maybe start working for Bitcoin, start putting a bit in, start earning Bitcoin. And it's that optionality, and I think the human nature, which is, is another important thing. I think there's a lot of nihilism and apathy around, and ultimately, Bitcoin is hope for me, and it certainly helped me get through the last few years of, of chaos. But yeah. it doesn't—it doesn't ask you to do anything. It doesn't coerce you to do anything. It doesn't tax you. It doesn't regulate you. It just says, "Look, do what you need to do," and it believes that there is a fundamental—you um, know—some val- fundamental rules that we agree on in terms of fixed supply. Um, but beyond that you do you do you, um and I believe in that system, you know the, the best of humanity can emerge, and that's you know not everyone agrees with that, but that's certainly been my belief, and uh, I think I've seen that validated in real life some the, some of the bitcoiners I know are the best people, the most generous people I know um, yeah. with, with their time have you found that as well?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. like especially the the clients that reach out to me that are already orange pilled like they'll they'll come to me, they'll be probably the most authentic open minded generous people that i've ever met um i'm no i shouldn't say that i've ever met some of the some yeah, of the yeah, yeah. most open-minded and generous people i've ever met yeah um and it's yeah like it it is a it's an antidote to looking at crisis because yeah you are that crisis opportunity thing it it really is there's two sides to a coin you can focus on the negative or the positive do both yeah do both with bravery like like go in there and actually see things for as they are, but know that there is hope on on each side of this this crisis, right?
0: There's hope, and and I think that's something that's really important again to underscore is that a lot of young people, um, you know, people of my age who've got this apathy, this this fear, this um, you know, especially with, with some of the global events that are happening, you know, war, climate change, all of these things, it sows a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. And when you realize, and, and you know, there's there's a bit more to this, but you realize that a lot of these problems are driven by, and this sounds a bit revolutionary, but are driven by fiat systems, you know, the totally. the way, the way you know, if you just look, there was a release just of this, the Pentagon leak the other day, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, you can see just how heavily involved the United States is in the war with Russia. Absolutely.
1: And- this is a currency war. It's not, well, I shouldn't say this is just a currency war. It's not just about that, I know, but. You, you look at 1971, look at the US, Vietnam, the, the, the dollar system. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all money. It's all, it's, we all, we, You know, my generation, Gen X was, was taught to think that it was all about greed. It was all about the love of money. Right. No, it's, it's about the system itself, the self preservation that occurs within that pyramid scheme. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why there's a pyramid on those dollar bills, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It really is a pyramid screen scheme.
0: Yeah. Well, and look, I mean, uh, you know, there, and there's a bit to that and, and a lot of, and a lot of people, I mean, you know, we're talking frankly here, and I mean, a lot of people think, oh, you know, I don't think so, but I think there's at least a grain of truth to some of these ideas. That, um, you know, this isn't apples 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 for apples. It's um, there's something going on, and what Bitcoin posits is that, well, at the very least, something's going on. But you can verify for yourself if you have a full node or you jump on the block on the blockchain, have a look, you can see what's going on. Um, you can see all of the transactions there. You don't know who they are, but you know that, hey, there's, there's a fixed amount of money. There's at least a, 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 a grain of truth to, um, well, you know, there, there is truth that can be found in that. And I think some it's of them- It's knowable. Yeah, yeah, it's knowable, isn't it? Yeah, and you can check for yourself. And I think one of the other challenges we're facing as well is um, maybe this affects, again, this is a generational thing, but my trust in the media is zero if not negative you know I, my stuff is just down the road from us and and you know we've got radio in new zealand up on the terrace and it's like yeah these institutions are, you know bless their souls but they they are full of shit and um i, I don't know i i don't even think about listening to what they have to say and the, the every now and then i might in a cafe i might have a look at the dom post and say what it's trying to say and i think okay this isn't the news this is what they're trying to tell me and a lot of young people i think are on the same boat you know
1: And is is that, uh, Cody, is that something that you think is a, um, just a bunch of people too dumb to realize that they're being suckered in by disinformation? Or is this actually just, no, we've had a guts full of it and we can actually see this now clearly.
0: I think they're sophisticated, you know, and they they know. And it's like, if you want the news, I mean, seriously, if you want the news, go to Reddit and go to Twitter. That's where it's at. And, um, you you know, the Pentagon leaks, whatever you want to find out about, um, it's all there. And you've got people doing breakdowns and, um, you know, the people, com- you know, compared to who's writing the articles, you know, for New Zealand media at the least, um, the level of detail and research and the sources and the backing that you get from, you know, decentralized media is far superior to what the news is able to do. Yeah, And, and even the Bastions, you know, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, just the, the, the stuff they say about Bitcoin even, it's like, man, this is like basic it's mistakes awesome. that are wrong, you know, like... Um, and so I think there's also that element that we live in this post-truth society. And this, this again, this sounds a bit woo-woo, but, for, for, you know, from my perspective, for Gen Z, for younger people, it's like, yeah, that's all I've ever known, is that the media is full of shit. And so, and pardon my French, but, like, they they then automatically, they're, like, inoculated against that. And they're like, oh, yeah. You know, And but for older people, and I look at, say, my grandparents, you know, um, they, they religiously watch TV1 news um and bless their soul but like they don't know any better and i can't convince them otherwise my own parents are sort of in between that but it's like you know if you if you watch Channel 1 news it's like yo, we've got bad thing in the world bad thing in the world a little good thing and then sport and the weather that's the format and it's like a little entertainment little thing every night and you feel you know go on your way and you think you know what's going on in the world but at the very same time we've got things like bitcoin happening which gets zero coverage if not just a few cursory mentions yeah, and that's actually changing the world. We've got things like AI, which I don't know if you've sort of looked into that very much, but I mean oh, yeah. that is changing the world right now. Definitely, yeah, um, massively.
1: And-, and I guess that's that's the thing, right? Like what we're talking about here is we're talking about the signs and symptoms of what probably is the biggest transfer of wealth that will ever occur between those that inoculate themselves with. The truth or not right like it's it's there's going to be this transition of wealth um and power and influence that will happen i think anyway yeah again it's it's about the um the first shall be last and the last shall be first yeah and i think and, and look
0: i think it's also important to sort of temper these conversations you know it's the word truth um, I think is, is a bit of a, a trigger word. It's a powerful what is word. Truth? What is truth, Cody? Yeah, well, I mean, I think people, um, what is justice? What is truth? These kinds of questions, which I've sort of taken upon myself to really investigate. You know, I'm, I always talk about this, but I'm uh, going through the Republic again and again, reading Plato, reading the classics, you know, um, reading and understanding that this is not a new problem. It's not a new question. And we have this kind of contemporary bias where we think that we've got it the best that it will ever be. But I'll tell you, the Romans and the Greeks knew a thing. The uh, people in the Renaissance and the Enlightenment knew a thing or two. Um, and we, we do know a few things here as well, but we've also forgotten a lot. And so, you know, talking about what is truth, what is not truth, I think I say, hey, look, just verify for yourself. Um, and I, I, don't inv- I don't recommend anyone invest in Bitcoin. I don't even like using that word invest. Um, I like saying to people, hey, do your own research. Go online Yeah. Um, or, you know, talk to someone, get a book. Um, the Bitcoin Standard uh, is a great one um there's a couple of others the bullish case for bitcoin is a great little pdf pamphlet that you can read that gives a high level overview do your research um learn about what it is um don't take anyone's word for it because i i don't know i certainly don't know anything um if i was to sort of quote socrates but um I, none of us do and i mean unfortunately i mean that, that, um, that, that i mean it's your job to provide some of that advice and i think that it's um uh, that's understandable i mean the existing financial system's so complex that you kind of need specialists to to help you through it you know and that's you know obviously you've done really successfully with that but with bitcoin all i say is to people is do your own research don't trust me find out what you think is is truth um and then we can we can reconvene and and connect through that
1: yeah no that's that's i've learned so much having this chat it feels like um i know you you reach out to me and you wanted me to have you wanted me to be on your show, but it kind of feels like you're kind of on my show, and I'm drilling you because you know, there's just so much uh, interesting perceptions that you you have, and I and I wonder, I'm just curious, like maybe your creative wiring has enabled you to see things a little bit differently. Would that Would that be true in your case?
0: I, I think so. Um, you know, as I said um, earlier um, before the show, you know, my background is photography. Um, I've done a lot of writing. Uh, I've traveled quite a lot. You know, I photograph places um so my work's all all about architecture and buildings and places and um, part of that journey is sort of meeting people along the way and in a way what i've been able to do um you know i'm always about trying to connect what i do in my life together and you know bitcoin was kind of over here and my photography and creative work was over here but what i've been able to do is connect them together and say well actually you know i can walk through the shanty towns of bangkok I can walk through Shanghai I can walk through Tokyo and I can analyze and understand how this place emerged this city this machine of civilization because of how it relates to the, the economics you can look at the skyline someone told me about how you know you can look at the skyline of Tokyo and you can see 1989 and the you know the stock market crash in the skyline you can see the war in the skyline because it's the areas where there's no skyscrapers you know where there's flat earth you know and I think these kinds of meta concepts which is really what my show is about the transformation of value is i look you know there's some technical details with bitcoin that you can research and learn about but what i'm really interested in is some of those philosophical and artistic considerations uh because this is a you know it's a it's a cultural revolution as much as a technology revolution um and yeah
1: yeah no you're, you're, you're touching on all the all the things that i've kind of my my intellectualism i guess you could say would stop me from from being able to go there, but like I'm just this fascinates me because I know that traditionally people like me would probably look at people like you, you artsy fartsy types, and you don't know anything. Just just shut up and get this index fund, right? Yeah. So I, so this is why I think like it's just such a powerful example. You you are a powerful example of what everyday investors could be, especially those that feel like they've been locked out. Because you actually do have the keys. Like Oz didn't give nothing to the Tin Man; they didn't already have, right? Like you, you've got the keys already to get it. You understand it, yeah. If you can understand this, far better than I can understand it already. By the looks of it, there's like the, there's so much hope for those that feel locked out. I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean keys is the perfect analogy. I mean, Bitcoin, you know, you you uh, when you when you know people listening set up a, a Bitcoin wallet, you know, you you generate a private key, which is your key to your money. No one else has it except you, and you're you have to take responsibility for that. There's no big bank to bail you out. There's no there's there's no one that's going to uh, come and save you. And so there's a certain degree of personal responsibility, which I think in part feeds to a lot of these social issues and, and broader themes that we're seeing. Um, if you take responsibility for yourself and then those around you and then your community and then your your country in that order, um, put your own mask on first before you help others, um, right, yeah. as they say on the airplanes. Um, I think we can see a lot of positive change and, and I think that's sort of the reactionism to big government um, and just kind of being mandated and told what to do from everything from what trees I can cut down on my property through to how much uh, income tax and capital gains tax I pay and, and that sort of thing. So, there's a lot of these these questions and fundamentals you know and I, I think looking at even just what's going on i mean i think um we'll be having or we've just had the the ocr for um, 50 basis points and, and i look at that and i think you know this is the most archaic thing i've ever seen this is like using leeches or you know like a, a hacksaw to amputate an, an, a limb you know and it's like there's a better way why do we not have clarity on our monetary policy in this country you know, what's it going to be in three months? You know, are they going to put it up again? And it's like, oh, you know, we're all on edge. If we just knew that there's 21 million Bitcoin every 10 minutes, there's a, a small amount comes online as people mine it. But it's a known quantity that comes online. If we had that clarity, imagine how far in the future we could plan. Um, and I think, yeah, it's it's all connected. And, and I think, yeah, as, as a creative person, I sort of bring it all together and then I sort of like synthesize it. Yes. um and i don't have anything against people who you know who are more technical or more logical in the, in the sense of how they look at it either because we can work together you know i can't code very well um, but certainly people who can maybe they can work on bitcoin businesses they can yeah. build wallet software that sort of thing so there's a, there's a role for everyone i believe in this
1: yeah do you a, here's a here's a wacky question for you yeah. um <laughs> you think like the likes of say socrates plato pascal maybe they maybe there's are satoshi nakamoto right like did they invent bitcoin like do you think it would would have been possible for them to invent some sort of decentralized ledger system back in ancient greece let's say where people could interact value with
0: well i think they i mean bitcoin is you know the white paper came out in 2008 but it was built upon the shoulders of many a lot of other work are you familiar with the cypherpunks have you heard of that
1: a little bit, and like Hal so, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, so you had these this group this group of people, you know, pretty much from like the 80s onwards, you know, working mm-hmm. with cryptography, um, working with um, decentralized systems. People like Adam Back, Hal Finney, these these different people who built a lot of the moving parts. You know, Satoshi did a lot, but he didn't do everything. Um, and a lot of these moving parts that power Bitcoin, you know, were from you know a long time ago. And a lot of the idea ideas that informed it. Um, come from you know ancient times. You know I think you look at uh, the Jones, idea of justice, right? freedom, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment. I mean it's it's human civilization and the development of civilization that has led us to these ideas. And to throw that away and say, well, you know what, you know we've had thousands of years of understanding what freedom is and what justice is, but we just don't need that anymore because we're a bit scared that the big bad guy is going to come get us, and so we need the government to look after us. It's like at no point has that ever worked out for anybody that the government's going to save you from the big bad guy it's like you you have to look at it from that historical lens and I think yeah what, is this, what is this blasphemy I'm listening to from someone in Wellington wow. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, I don't work I don't work for the government luckily so um I stand out like a sore thumb but hey I, I absolutely think Socrates would have been a bitcoiner um he probably would have given it away um if he had it um I think the idea of Bitcoin is a powerful idea it's an idea of freedom of self-sovereignty um and I think it's, it's ultimately better for humanity um, in, in the long term. And I see some of the challenges we're facing with the environment, with you know sustainability, with all of these things, which kind of you know get captured by fiat thinking. And they're like, well, we're just going to stop driving cars and eat, stop eating food, and we're all going to die. And it's like, no, actually, we can build a better world, and we can use technology and human innovation, and we can see a, rena- a renaissance in thought. I think where people don't don't aren't scared. They're not scared of other people in other countries. They're not, you know they're not trying to hurt each other trying to work together because if you can trade seamlessly between um, people globally then you're not probably not going to fight that's when you start playing with the money and you start messing with trade tariffs and all of that stuff that you start making people want to fight um and i think yeah fix the money fix the world that's such a good
1: title for this episode man yeah look at that
0: right well thank you (laughs) whoever thought of that yeah no thank you darcy it's it's been good i appreciate you're a a great interlocutor and i think um it's it's been good to sort of bridge as well, sort of your world as well with, you know, the work you do with financial advice and, and some of the people you talk to with sort of my world, which is a little bit more uh fluid, I guess you could say, a bit more artsy fartsy, but
1: there is some commonality. <laughs> yeah. I think but I think like the common threads are, are are totally there, right? Like there's there are lines of communication open, right? And I think that's kind of what people like you, people like me. We need to keep doing is, is just keep the lines of communication open regardless of what goes down those lines because yeah change is coming
0: yeah yeah so look my takeaway would be for anyone look do your own research don't trust me don't trust darcy Oh, sorry i mean you could you trust darcy, No, don't trust pro- me either he's that a professional but um do your own research look into it bitcoin not crypto bitcoin's all you need to be looking at all everything else it's not worth your time Look at Bitcoin, do a bit of research, see if you're interested, um, you know, look online, reach out to someone if you've got any questions. But it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty easy to get involved. It only takes a little bit. Um, and before you know it, you'll be, you know, you'll be self-sovereign and, and you'll be a Bitcoiner. So, yeah, that, that's all I would say to people. Thank you very much. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I'll echo that. Amplify by 10. That's great. Thank you very much, Cody.